Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the May 18th, 2021 edition of Ask a Leader. Returning to the show are my guests, Ellen Mackey and Gina Chavez, both of the Metropolitan Water District with the continuing developing story of the Met's response to claims of unhealthy work culture conditions. We're picking up here where we left off with our March 16th show on the Metropolitan Water District workplace culture. My guests for the full hour today are Ellen Mackey and Gina Chavez. Ellen is a senior ecologist with the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California and the Watershed Council where she conducts field mapping native vegetation. Ellen's other role is leader of the Metropolitan Water District's American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, their Women's Caucus. And also returning is Gina Chavez, water pump plant mechanic, one of many women who are challenging the workplace culture at the Metropolitan Water District, featured in recent coverage by LA Times investigative reporter Adam Elmaharik. Gina comes to us today from her home in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Ellen from her home in San Fernando Valley. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Ellen and Gina. Thanks for having us, Claudia. Thank you. That's Ellen and Gina in that order. And so we're recording this today on March 15th. Well, a few things have been developing since Ellen was last on March 16th, but matters that persist at the workplace culture of the Metropolitan Water District. Folks may wonder why that matters, why I continue to cover this. It's the human resources, the financial resources, not to mention the water resources. So let's have Ellen Mackey now update us on the oversight of the workplace culture with investigations underway with the independently contracted Shaw Law Group. Now about 175 employees have been interviewed as of this last month, April. More are anticipated. They're asking for more time. And the Joint Legislative Audit Committee, which has been tasked with auditing the hashtag MeToo accusations. So Ellen, how are these two investigative tracks related and not? Thanks, Claudia. It's a good question because I think there's quite a bit of confusion around it. And I know there's some confusion that's being created around it. And there is some movement to try to make them sound like they're the same thing, and they're not. They're actually complementary. The Shaw Law Group and the State Audit would complement each other. They are not doing the same thing at all. The Shaw Law Group is doing a cultural assessment. They did a survey for employees. They got most employees actually responded. And then they probably have over 200 interviews to create a snapshot of what the culture is at Metropolitan, but they're not coming back with recommendations. If they find, they, they will identify issues, but they're not going to come up with recommendations as to how to solve them. The state audit, meanwhile, will look at procedures and policies, delve into them, see if they're consistent, how they weigh against what they're finding and possibly even with the Shaw Law Group snapshot, the state audit will come up with recommendations for how to resolve some of these issues. So that's how they complement each other. They are necessary for each other. And we really would like that message to make its way to legislators in Sacramento, because I think what they're hearing from Metropolitan is, oh, we have the Shaw Law Group investigation moving forward. We don't need a state audit. We absolutely need a state audit to complete 
what the Shaw Law Group has started but won't finish because that's not what they're being paid to do. So I'm just curious, Nuri Martinez, the president of the LA City Council, whose threats to end the city's ties with the Metropolitan Water District, which set the JLAC, the Joint Legislative Audit Committee in motion, she's stepping up her profile, proposing to run for the anticipated vacancy of the LA mayor. Is this of interest to the AFSCME unions women and making their case about the workplace culture? Oh, I haven't even thought about that. I would say that Nuri Martinez has been a supporter of us and that her taking such a strong stand at a time that the LA Times article came out was very encouraging and I think was shocking to people. So that's as far as I can take that. Okay. So I don't know if the analogy would hold up though, that both the Shaw Group and the Joint Legislative Audit Committee, they're both flashlights that are picking up different things. Correct. And that's maybe, that's why the management of MWD is reticent to, they don't, the fewer the flashlights, the more status quo can be maintained. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up again because there've been two other state audits. The one in 2004 came up with recommendations, especially in the ethics office and Metropolitan has had 17 years to implement those recommendations. And there are many that still have not been implemented. So not only do they need a state audit, they need to get themselves in gear and start implementing what was suggested or or, uh, recommended in 2004, which 17 years is all of Jeff Keitlinger's tenure as GM. So he has not implemented all of those. So that's on him. We absolutely need a second state audit to underscore that with the new GM. So Let's have Ellen and Gina, if she wants to, to chime in here. But there's a discussion of organizational cronyism, where some employees are favored based on non-performance factors. Could you talk about the features in how it undermines workplace culture and how the Met checks so many of those boxes, especially as we proceed with today's update at MWD? So let me take a step back and say that organizational cronyism is a phenomenon that industrial and organizational psychologists are now studying, and they're finding it's a cancer in organizations, that it's an anti-meritocracy system where there is an in-group and an out-group. And to be in the in-group, the requirement is blind loyalty and unquestioning obedience to the power structure. It's not based on what you know. It doesn't matter how competent you are. And we've had this system in place for longer than I'd like to think. So people who know when they speak out, they will have a black mark against them. It's because you're out group. In group, meanwhile, can break the rules. So all of the things that it turns out the Women's Caucus has been disclosing since July 13, 2020, the discrimination, the harassment, the sexual harassment, the retaliation, the assault, all of that are simply symptoms of organizational cronyism. Because the in-group individuals who are guilty of those violations are protected. They can break rules with impunity. Out-group people have to follow the rules and their feet are held to the fire. In-group people, it doesn't matter whether you violate safety rules, whether people are harmed as a result of breaking safety rules, you're still protected and possibly even promoted. 
because you're in group. As long as you're loyal, you are protected. So this has become a cancer at Metropolitan and we would like to see that change. It's going to be a huge change. It's the type of cancer that requires vigilance, drastic excision of contaminated material, which unfortunately in this case is a vast number of managers. I mean, there are good managers, but there's a lot of people, especially in executive management, upper management, middle management, all the way down, who are not as competent as, as other people, but they are loyal and they are obedient. They are in group. And since that's been a requirement for so long, we have a problem with our management chain. It creates a weak management chain. It creates a series of yes, men and women. And these are just some of the problems with organizational cronyism. It also leads to a great deal of organizational employees who are demoralized with their work culture. They can lead to people who don't care any longer because it doesn't matter whether you're competent. It won't matter if you're competent or not because you're not gonna be promoted. This is an anti-meritocracy system. So people can be overlooked. They can have their careers stalled and it doesn't matter what you do because you're not perceived as being unquestioningly loyal you will not be promoted. You will not get the plum projects. So you're so, stalled. So when I was looking up this notion, this phenomenon, organizational cronyism, there's really a lot of academic research done about that in, over the different disciplines. And I, I want to know, Ellen, if you'll be looking at whatever the Shaw Law Group puts out, if they use that particular frame of reference or if they'll use code art, is it important what kinds of labels are used in their final analysis that would be code for, we understand the breadth and depth of what's metastasized in this workplace culture? I think it would be a good lens to interpret their results. I, I think it would be, it's a great research project for anybody who's looking for a dissertation. I think it does matter because we are at a place at Metropolitan where there's a huge turnover in terms of the employees because a lot of people are retiring and new people are coming in. So we are at a tipping point or a threshold where we could actually institute a great deal of change because the newer people have not been programmed yet. And so they're probably still wondering why we're making all of this fuss because they're not aware of the institutional cancer that we have right now. So if we can make the changes, there is some hope to actually make some radical change at Metropolitan in a fairly short period of time, which I think would give some hope to the new GM. It would mean removing a number of managers who are and have been problematic, and we know who they are. So between the Shaw Law Group and the Joint Legislative Audit Committee, where do you expect there to be dollar values put down for the fiscal impacts of a toxic workplace culture? Well, I know that ratepayers right now are paying for the mismanagement of a number of managers who are getting counseling on a yearly basis. We've discussed that before. There are um, settlements that the board is not even apprised of, even though the 2004 audit suggested or recommended that all NDAs go through the board. Metropolitan has not been doing that. It's a way of obfuscating the amount of money that they're actually paying out, that ratepayers are paying out. They also seem to bring in consultants under the radar 
Jeff Keitlinger was just called on the carpet. We'll um, talk about that. We'll talk about that when we're talking yeah. about Jeff Keitlinger in specific. But uh, I just want to know what the two, these two different reviews are, wh where it's appropriate. So the, the audit could sh show that kind of fiscal impact, though, correct? I believe so, yes. Okay, good. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader. My guests are Alan Mackey, Metropolitan Water District Senior Ecologist, who leads the American Federation State County Municipal Employees Union's Women's Caucus, and Gina Chavez. We'll hear from her. We'll hear her whenever she wants to chime in. She's a water pump plant mechanic, one of many women who are challenging the workplace culture at the Metropolitan Water District. We're taping this May 15th. So let us then discuss the current general manager, Jeff Keitlinger, who did not get to move on to an appointment he was seeking at the US Department of the Interior in the Biden-Harris administration. He's taken out some contracts with a firm known as Mercury, I think that's a public relations firm, and Gibson Dunn, a law firm, to do additional reviews. So uh, there are folks on the Metropolitan Water District website, there are actual meetings where one can hear the, the principals are interacting and answering questions. You can sort of hear when some topics sound like they're new to fellow board directors. So it gives us a lot of insight for people to geek out a little bit and listen to how institutions are, are performing and how interacting. So Ellen, let's have you talk about those contracts that he has taken out, the kind of expense and the, the sort of role that, the, that he is presenting that they are doing versus what is the, maybe in the actual role that they're performing, those two firms, Mercury and Gibson Dunn. First of all, can I go back to what you stated earlier about listening to board meetings? We really encourage people to get involved in their local government, and this is a local government. I'm glad you're doing that. I think people really ought to make it a point. It's not that geeky. It's really people consuming their local officials' services that rendered to us, the constituents. Good exactly. point, Ellen. And, and it can sometimes be pretty entertaining um, <laughs> listening to them try to wiggle out from under some direct questions that they're being asked because I'm listening to board members finally get their feet under them and hold management accountable and ask them difficult questions. I think over the past several years, the board has taken more of an advisory role rather than actually being the employer. They're actually the boss of executive management. So it's kind of interesting listening to them, get their feet under them and start questioning more and pressing and I hope they, they continue to do that more because that's exactly what we need from the board. So I would encourage people to listen into board meetings and the way to get there is to go to mwdh2o.com. Over on the left, you'll see who we are. The drop-down menu will see board. And then you can go to, when you hit board, you can go to meetings, biographies, that's all right there. So people who would like to also comment but get more involved. Water is going to be a significant issue in the future. Oh, so Ellen, let's put it in the present. Let's, it's future. This is the, okay. It's now. Water, water is a significant issue even now. It's going to become even more in the future. So people coming up to speed and just turning it on. I mean, when I'm listening to the board meetings, I am multitasking. I may be stretching or I may be doing dishes, but I am listening to the board meeting. 
So I would encourage people to get more involved and be aware of what's going on. So two, the Jeff Keitlinger, our executive management at Metropolitan has hired the Mercury Group and Gibson and Dunn. It sounds like both of their contracts, or we were told they're on hold for 60 days. We'll see if that's true. But the Mercury Group was brought in for public relations purposes, but it sounds like what their purpose is to work at the state legislature to start reversing the progress we've made with the JLAC on the state audit. So that's the Mercury Group. How do you reverse an audit though? I mean, you, you reverse the support. You reverse the support for the audit. Okay, so your appropriations to keep the audit going, to give additional necessary resources to an audit. That's yeah, what- I, think what, I think the message is um, we have the Shaw Law Group um, working on a, a snapshot of Metropolitan. We really don't need a state audit. We absolutely need a state audit. They are not the same. So that's, I believe what the Mercury Group is doing, although that's been denied and we're not believing that. The Gibson and Dunn at $1,200 an hour investigators that ratepayers are paying for, I believe were brought in to run a somewhat parallel investigation to the Shaw Law Group as kind of a second opinion, because the Shaw Law Group is going to have, I mean, from the people that have been interviewed so far, is going to be a rather startling snapshot of what's going on at Metropolitan and I think that executive management and legal would like a alternative snapshot that shows that it's not everyone, and we've never said it was everyone, but we have said that there are enough people who are being disadvantaged by the present system that it needs to be upended, quite frankly. But so the, the Gibson and Dunn, I believe, is a parallel investigation to Shaw to come up with a second opinion, essentially. But we're also, again, told Keitlinger was questioned at OPNT, Organization, Personnel, and Technology. He said it's on hold for 60 days. We'll see. So when I heard part of that hearing, the general manager, Keitlinger, responded to a board director with the purpose of Gibson Dunn was to provide some kind of technical legal work to how to phrase what how the recommendations might be carried out. But there's a question about whether that's actual intention as well as the board of director, I heard challenge, then if we don't have the recommendations yet, if we don't have the findings of the Shaw Law Group, how do we know if Gibson Dunn is specialized enough to take up the charge of putting language into what could be eventual kinds of manuals. That's correct, but the Shaw Law Group is not coming up with recommendations and not looking at policies and procedures to begin with. So this is the cart way before the horse because that would come out of the state audit. Audit, so we do not need Gibson and Dunn yet or even in 60 days, because the Shaw Law Group is doing a snapshot of the culture, the state audit will look at the policies and procedures. And if he's saying that the, the Gibson and Dunn is gonna assist with wording on policies and procedures, they're way ahead of themselves. So the question is, what are they really here for then? That wasn't answered. That no. was a lot of uh, doublespeak. So 
you talked about the expense. I guess apparently there's it tops off at about two hundred forty thousand dollars. That will be the extent to which the Gibson Dunn would be funded. And what's the mercury retention? Uh, I believe cost? it was fifty fifty thousand dollars. Okay, but the, both are put on. Mercury is not put on hold. They are active now in Sacramento. I thought they were also on hold, but I could be wrong. But they are still up there trying to downplay the need for a state audit. I don't know how to put a, not, a lobbyist on hold. I mean, really, doesn't that just, that, that kind of process is sort of an ongoing cultivation in relationships in a political arena, isn't it? Exactly, thank you. Okay, well, I, I'm asking, asking for a lot of ratepayers. <laughs> so, um, and the source, where did these line items to cover these expenses come from? Do you know, Ellen? No, I actually don't. It was like, where did they, they do obfuscate the, the line items by giving them very generic phrasing and then they'll just make it through on consent. I would suggest that the board's gonna have to take a very, very, very close look at what they're okaying because uh, they've tried this before. When, when legal tried to put through an expense for an investigation firm to start an investigation on Gina, Miranda Grow and Lee King after their July comments, that slid through on something called a climate assessment. And it took like, how did they get this through? Oh, they called it something really generic. And how would you know if you didn't say, what is this? And it went through very quickly. And so they had to be called on the carpet, which is how we dug our heels in in October. But yeah, they're very good at just moving things through very quietly. So how... Does the Shaw Group, I mean, anybody in the entire Metropolitan Water District organization could go to Shaw Group, including, couldn't a board director go to them? You mean to tell their stories? Yeah. Sure. And, and they could say, they could raise some of the obfuscation that they think they didn't get the answer on. Wouldn't that be a workplace culture issue? I mean, that, that wouldn't that be a purview of the Shaw Law Group? They would certainly interview them and take their story. And we do know that in addition to all of the stories they've heard from people who are legitimately harmed and traumatized in some ways by what the treatment they've received at work, there are people who are coming forward now going, well, I'm going to use this against them and tell my story. And it's really the imagined slights of people who are used to thriving in an abusive system. But the Shaw Group will take their story they're actually, it works in our favor because it's the entitlement that they feel that they can tell their story with no evidence whatsoever. So when people have asked me for the link to the Shaw Law Group, and I know what stories they're going to tell, I've said, go ahead, tell so your story. you're confident they have the expertise. I mean, we know they're independent, but you're confident that they can certainly understand where evidence is brought along with the story or there's yes. evidence missing. I mean, that's- yeah. They're very good at this. And I think it's people who, again, who are used to, we have stories now of people retaliating and making up story, making up stories like they're sixth grade middle school mean girls uh, about other employees. These are good old boys. In a way it's funny, but in a way it's kind of like, wow, how bad was this culture? When I tell these stories to people, they, they just jaws drop and going, how bad is it there? Well, it's quite toxic. So 
What do you want to see in the findings with respect to training, both in the audit and in the Shaw Law Group? So are you ideally looking that the findings are directed toward all levels of management and rank and file? I mean, what is it you're hoping for, the hoping part and anticipating? That has two parts. So the training part, we already are required to do training every year, every other year. There's there's training that we have to keep up on with regards to harassment, sexual harassment. We just got implicit bias training. I always thought it was pretty good, but I'm actually listening and I'm predisposed to learn what they have to say. Unfortunately, we know people who are, I will say, smaller on the inside are not going to listen. They're going to turn it on. They're going to run it just so they could say they took it, but it is not sticking and they are not interested. And they're just rolling their eyes saying, why do I have to do this? So it's not about training because if you're not predisposed to taking training and actually open to learning, then it's not going to matter how much training you have. And that's what we've seen repeatedly. What matters is the psychological makeup of the person that they're putting in power. They have to do interviews and figure out where this person is in terms of well I'm thinking of it's a kind of a a buy-in right I mean we've all taken implicit bias training in various workplace situations and we all know we all have a different a range of enthusiasm about our taking that training and so it's sort of like how to get the buy-in that the that your workplace is something that performs on so many different levels and it's important Well, when there isn't the buy-in though, when you think you're doing fine because you're thriving in this abusive culture, then why would you want to have any training? Everything's working for you. You're in group. You can break the rules. It doesn't matter. You'll be protected. Why would you need training? It's not going to work. We need a completely different system to evaluate people and we need buy-in, but I'm not seeing that at all levels. So this is a really important moment here. We'd like to turn to to Gina Chavez, how she's doing, how you are doing, Gina, and your status right now as an employee. And uh, I'll ask more about your distinction as about you're like the last female machinist standing at the Met. Here's Gina Chavez. Thanks, Claudia, for having me on. Right now, uh, my status is still... I'm under investigation and on paid admin leave. Um, So I'm still not at work. I'm up to almost seven months now being gone. So it's, um, you know, it's kind of difficult because I'm, I only know one other person that's been out close to this long and that's Don Nash. And it's hurtful that the company is thinking of me at that level. Um, So yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, I'm, I'm, we'll be very careful here, um, gentle on the, on um, Don Nash was, there was the large piece that Adam El-Maharik wrote after the piece, the larger piece that talked about all the trades women and uh, Don Nash isn't with us any longer. No, he's not. Uh, he actually uh, committed suicide but he was put on paid admin leave to be investigated for, you know, the stuff that he was doing at the work site, which Adam had details in his uh, report on. And then uh, also the OPNT committee had a detailed 
report on him too. So you can find that online. The same place that Ellen explained to look in the archives. Correct, correct. So that you are being linked with the whole Don Nash story about in the scrutiny of your employee status at, at the Met? Out here, that's the only other person that has been put out on leave for that long that we know of. Oh, um, wow. He was found guilty on uh, so many things, which is, you know, it's hurtful because everything that I'm being investigated on is false narrative pretty much. And, you know, being accused of making things more gender equality, I'm actually being charged with. Can you give us a, any more, do you mind telling us a little bit more about that in detail? Yeah. Um, one of the ones that was particular that hit me pretty strong was I have uh, some work signs around work that says like men working above or men working below. And um, a few years back, and this was previous managers, um, I brought the concern to them and, you know, they told me, go ahead and change it. And now, you know, they gave me some suggestions for it and they gave me the go ahead. So I felt, you know, valued at that point when they helped me with that. So when this new group of managers came in, they were actually, uh, what would you say, offended that I changed the men working above and the men working below signs to people. And when I went out on COVID leave, which they gave COVID leave when we first uh, started the pandemic, I went on leave and then I came back to work and all my signs were ripped off and they were back to normal men. Um, so I didn't say anything. I just, you know, went around and just repasted it, you know, people and come to find out that is actually one of the things they are trying to get me in trouble for is making my work environment more gender inclusive and actually helping like myself make me feel like I'm included there. Because at this point I was the senior worker. I was the senior worker on that site. So um, I felt respected, especially when my managers gave me the go ahead to make something uh, more inclusive, especially for women. So that microaggression of removing something that was a gesture of inclusivity, is that something uh, you've, you've already had a chance to talk with the Shala group, correct? Yes, I actually, I got to talk to them multiple times. Um, what did you they, think of talking with them? How, let's hear about how it's like to interact with them. I dealt with one person on there and they were great. You can tell the difference between people who have dealt with victims and people who have not. And the Shaw Law Group have dealt with victims. They have um, a very good bedside manner, I would say, compared to what I had to deal with when I was just talking about the gender uh, equality, which is threatening to the men, some of the men at work. Um, the investigators that I had to deal with on that group was just out for my head it felt like where the Shaw Law Group were there you know they were just being courteous and gathering facts and they made you feel comfortable and that's you know that's how you get people to give you information you're not you know you're not going to get information from people by coming in hot especially people who are sharing their stories of being victimized so they were great I thought they were great they did a good job on you know uh picking the group to do the culture assessment I would say so you spoke to how many people? For the Shaw Law Group, uh, I spoke to one person on their team. One on one. Um, and did you have a representative yeah. with you or you spoke as you felt like you could speak by yourself? Uh, I had Ellen with me. 
you know, even though you, they make you feel comfortable enough where you probably, you know, you would want to be okay sitting with them alone. But at this point in my career with Met, I don't trust, I don't trust anything that they give me, you know, uh, they, they've sent, you know, investigative lawyers before out to me when I've made uh, complaints. And one of them was, you know, really polite and seemed like they were gathering the facts and but that was a met lawyer that was a met lawyer too yeah this one's hired by the board the other ones have been hired by the met but still by by like mwd management you know legal side um but you know i don't trust i guess any kind of investigative attorneys because of my past with mwd's attorneys because you know even if they do seem nice I found out that they never even followed up with my witnesses or they never even pursued my story fully. And that just instills that distrust. Even if someone is friendly and kind, you still have that mistrust because you had years of abuse of mistrust from the company. So this first, like the Shaw group has been great. Even though like um, Ellen's been there and stuff and I wanna trust them, it's still hard to trust somebody. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you have to prove yourself. Well, I guess you're just you're just classic triggering there. Yeah, it pretty much is. The, you know, in the, form, <laughs> the back and forth. So uh, Ellen, in preparation for this, was talking a little bit about Gina, how you're being a bit subjected to a kind of there's some sorts of ways that retaliation is taking place. I mean, you said the only other person that's had been on a seven months leave. It was somebody who took their own life with the complications of, of their employee and the transgressions of their employee at the, at the Met. But can you talk a little bit about how this retaliation is registering? Uh, it's, it's actually been hard, actually, especially like this week, because, you know, a lot of these people ha- did not come out and speak up until we spoke up and they felt empowered by that. So, um, like we have, uh, male supporters that are coming out and validating our stories and are now being, um, accused of things that are false, um, that are things that the women themselves have been claiming. And now that there's a, you know, there's groups of men that are speaking up now they're being hurt. But we've had the same complaints about certain people and management like Don Nash that went unheard. And now they just, it, it almost feels like they just want to listen to a certain group that's going to hurt like the women's caucus or the women or people that came out in the stories. Um, because one of my allies, just, you know, someone that's uh, been trying to help me and validate me because they were there is now being put on paid admin leave. So they're taking someone else out. And um, it's hurtful to see that, that they are trying to hurt you so much yeah. because you want to tell your story. My story is never going to change. No matter how much you're going to try to hurt, hurt me, you're never going to break my spirit. I'm going to keep telling you know the truth. Mm. But at the same time, the people that are trying to help you because you tried so hard to encourage this kind of environment of people to stick up for themselves it hurts when they're you know they're taking those people down and you don't want that to happen because they're good people um so yeah it's um 
it's hard to watch and uh, especially because it's not me but it's still affecting me these people are my witnesses some of these people are helping other women um, with their cases and it's like you guys are really you're really trying to hurt women aren't you like that's how it feels that's how metropolitan management and HR and legal feel like I feel like they just they want to hurt us um, any way they can and hurt our careers and um, our family, our friends. They don't know how deep this community is. You know, I, I see so many people from work, even though I'm on paid admin leave, you know, um, I see a lot of people from work and, you know, I get shunned a lot. I get shunned a lot. And, you know, it affects my family. Um, it affects my kids, but it's only because um, we didn't do anything and we just wanted to say our piece. And for some reason that threatens people's way of life or their comfort. Um, so it is hurtful what's going on, but it's not gonna stop us. Um, and the people that are joining our fight and are still, you know, they're paying the price to, to stick up for their truth. Um, it's not stopping them either. You know, we're still um, on this path and we still want to finish it and we will finish it. Um, it's just, we have to roll with these punches right now. Um, but there is light at the end of the tunnel for us. Well, that's what I'm, I'm wondering if the Alliance system, how it's working right now, that people are, that they're seeing a need to, to speak out on your behalf. They're, they're putting some sort of personal capital on the line here that there is seems to be a shift and there's maybe a feedback loop of the more detailed these testimonies are, the more people are willing to put themselves out there with a risk of retaliation with that the, the Shaw group will, and, and the coverage that media will avail the women's union at the Met, that there will the, the feedback loop is intensifying and your your days are coming. Can I jump in here? Ellen. I, I would say that what we're seeing from the good old boys and gals who don't want change and who have thrived in the abusive system, when people have come to me, I said, this is the, the last thrashing of a dying fish. They're dying, their, their culture is leaving. Whether they're ready for it or not, we are creating change. And I've had to advise everybody who steps up, you can expect pushback because it's normal. They're not just gonna give up. All the way from Keitlinger on down to people out in the desert, they're not just going to give up. We will create change. The culture is changing and we're gonna make sure they stay under the microscope, but they are gonna push back. So they're thrashing around and they are harming people. They're making things up at this point. Because so, they, we're making things up. I've heard people say that they don't believe Gina, that they don't believe Lee, that they don't believe Miranda, that they think that they're exaggerating. So of course, they're going to pick it up and go, well, we'll report our stories too. So they're going to lash out because that's all they know. And I will say this, we are concerned that they won't stop until there is some violence because this is a violent culture. We've talked about Don Nash. One of the things he was brought up short on was having firearms at work. 
having ammunition in his office. This is a violent culture. So we With are substance abuse. I mean, a, a, yes. a bad cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are concerned that, that there will have to be some violence. Gina is on leave because she reported to me that she did not feel safe, which is perfectly legitimate. Although when security looked into it and when security has looked into these incidences, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, our security guys slash mall cops don't do a good job with their investigation. And they're there to only cover up, smooth it over, make it go away. And they always come back with the same conclusion. There is no threat. Well, of course there's a threat. There's already been a violent suicide. There is violence out there. They just don't want it to, to be in the forefront, but people are not feeling safe. And I think Gina can talk more about that. And so our concern is that there could be some violence at, at some point. So we're talking about the management structure here, and there will be a new general manager appointed. It's the process is underway right now. What is the time frame for replacing Jeff Keitlinger and what are the attributes that the American Federation of State County Municipal Employees are looking for? And I don't know if you have any kind of opportunities to weigh in or is this all the search committees all about the board of directors and other people to contribute to, to weighing in about the best possible general manager are not invited. So what we know so far is that the board met last Friday and Saturday that they had a majority vote for a new manager. Um, they were empowered to negotiate with this candidate and that there should be an approval on June 8th. So we're glad that they have made a decision. Um, with regard to Jeff Keitlinger leaving, I believe he has said, actually he said he was gonna leave at the end of last December, um, but he's saying now it's going to be June. I know I agree with Chairperson Murray when he said, you said you were leaving last December, how long are you gonna stay? He said June, hopefully that is the case. Um, we would like to see some change. We would like a general manager who acknowledges that we need a, a different culture. We need a changed culture. We look forward to working with the new GM um, on changing the culture. But the question is whether the GM is the final vote has taken place. There may still be another vote on the a possible appointment. My understanding was that they had a majority and that it was settled um, and that approval of the contract was going to be on June 8. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave for listeners that that may be a, an unsettled vote dis appointment decision. And the, the, and the reason nobody's mentioning anything is because it is very fluid right now. So it, as, it may make June 8th a fluid date as well. So in preparation for this interview, Ellen, you pointed out, and I'm sure Gina has some experience with this to weigh in on, you pointed out how the COVID distant meeting protocols have given MET employees particular opportunities to air their grievances before various internal bodies. And those opportunities have been kind to people who felt a kind of asymmetry of power in meetings before COVID. To talk about how that's been working, both Ellen know, and Gina. Um, I know that the pandemic has been a, a tremendous burden and um, trial to many people. 
Um, but for us, we found that it was advantageous because communication changed so radically during the pandemic that when we started meeting in June of 2020, or excuse me, in March of 2020, um, distance was not an obstacle for us. We could speak, we could meet on uh, Zoom. I know that Lee right now is in Arizona, I'm in Los Angeles, so we could speak on a, on a weekly basis and support each other. Um, intimidation was gone because we could speak freely with each other. They were in familiar surroundings rather than having to even come to the site to meet and go all that distance and get nervous. We were just in familiar surroundings. So the intimidation factor was tremendously lessened. We essentially, and when we, when we had to speak to different administrative bodies or the board or different councils or different water districts, essentially, we have a blind audition, essentially. We are not being evaluated under a male gaze or anybody's gaze on how we look or how we're standing. We, they are only hearing our voices. They are only hearing the passion or the anguish in our voices. And that's been a tremendous help because it's really propelled us forward. I can't imagine that our message impact would have been the same if wow. Lee who has facial tattoos and facial piercings and a shaved head would have been greeted in the same way with their, their very emotional testimony in July if, if they had been standing and theirs is their preferred pronoun. Yes. If Lee had been standing there in person, I think that the message would have been lost because they would have been seeing, they would have been wrapped around the ankles with the way Lee looks rather than realizing the way Lee looks is actually kind of an outward manifestation of what's going on internally as a result of treatment at the hands of Metropolitan. So that would have been completely lost and it would have been lost for all of us. So the blind audition was really helpful for us. And I will tell you one thing that I have realized more recently is that the physical safety of being in my own home because Metropolitan, as much as they're gonna to hate to hear this, is a violent culture um, and people can shun you, which is something that, that Gina was talking about, or take out their displeasure with you in different ways. When you're not there, I mean, they are acting like, you know, sixth grade middle school girls, but when you're not there to take that, it, it get, builds your confidence and, and helps you to be a little more outgoing in terms of your message. If I had been at work, it would have been a lot more restrained and there would have been concern. So the physical safety is something that um, is very much a part of our culture too. I was telling you in preparation for this interview yesterday, and I'm uh, just going to go off on this for a second. We've had people at work who historically uh, the fleet was one way that they could take their vengeance out on employees. You know, my car, uh, this was more than 20 years ago, but my the fleet car, being the mechanics that the mecha are servicing everybody's uh, company vehicles. I would say it's the fleet people. Um, cars would routinely break down if you displeased the wrong person at Metropolitan. If you displeased an in-group person, then your car would probably break down somewhere out. In, I went out to Riverside frequently and my car frequently broke down. So that was just another way of intimidating you. And with the pandemic and being safely ensconced in my own home, that's gone away. Gina, can you talk a little bit about how the pandemic 
remote protocols have uh, changed how you've been able to interact and make your case? Yeah, pre-COVID, like Alan said, we would have to physically meet for meetings most of the time because that was like the norm for committees. So if we had this women's caucus pre-COVID, we would have to travel long distances because pretty much me and Ellen are like on the opposite scales of this company. You know, they're all the way at Los Angeles by headquarters and I'm all the way by the source, which is the Colorado River, about as far as you can get from each other. So during COVID, since we had to rely so much on telecommuting, it kind of, for myself, it forced me to educate myself in more technology because I wasn't. Um, yeah, we'll join the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like it forced me to learn it, but I had to, it gave it a purpose more when I had to learn it. So I had to learn it so I could communicate and keep on top of the issues and be able to speak with Ellen because we were the, the ones that connected over this and started the women's caucus. So we needed to be able to be in touch with each other quite frequently. And COVID era had made it easier for that, especially doing the board talk like the first time. I don't think I would have been as clear maybe, or it would have been different. I would have had to travel like I would have had to travel all the way to L.A. and stand in front of a bunch of, you know, suits and ties and, you know, these people sitting on their big chairs in front of you. And, you know, that's intimidating for me. You know, I'm just from a small community out here in the desert and going all the way to L.A. and speaking to people like that is, yeah, it's quite intimidating. So speaking over the phone. And them not seeing me and me not seeing them and being distracted about how I look or how they're looking at me or what are the faces they're making. I didn't have all that. So I felt like that really pushed our speaking skills into a direction where we could be more clear. So I'm just imagining the math here about one screen versus how many board members or managers that you'd be talking to. That mean, The reduction of all of those managers to one screen, that's such a difference. Yeah, and you know, for Metropolitan, you don't even see them on there, you just call in. So you don't even doing a call in on the Zoom. So it's totally blind, you're just speaking. They just hear your voice. So that's exactly what you want. You just want them to hear your words because that's all you have at that point. Wow. Well, is there something, you've talked a little bit about Lee's being able to use the COVID sorts of distant protocols, you know, to her favor in a sense. But what is Lee King's status at this point? Uh, Lee King is no longer an employee of Metropolitan. Um, they officially resigned at the beginning of the month. And I went in with them to return their laptop and stuff. And, you know, they went in to gather their family pictures. It was hard, I guess. Mm. You know, um, I know Lee my whole life. And they were the first, you know, at that time, female to get into the program. So, you know, I'm losing somebody that, uh, you know, kind of like set an example for me because they went first. Okay. So it was sad to see them leave uh, for sure. After all these years, you know, we've been here 17 years. And then we also grew up in the same neighborhood. 
So to see, like, to me, for myself, it's like, like, we work so hard. You work so hard to be here. You know, you had to pass all these tests and compete with all these men. And, you know, nobody liked us for the most part. You know, a lot of people betted against us. And it's sad to see them, you know, have to leave that. But they have to make their peace for themselves. And it was killing them. It was killing their spirit. Um, they couldn't hang on any longer. They have to move on for themselves, for their mental health, and for their family. Because our kids have all grown up with this. So, yeah, Leah is no longer a part of MWD. But they will, I think once, you know, they get a little more grounded since they left, they, they want to continue to speak out. And they want to comp- continue to advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. And is Lee King employed anywhere else right now? Is, or has that been complicated? Lee is going to be helping with family business. So oh. their brother, yeah, their brother actually has a coffee business going on in the Phoenix area, Poor Joe Coffee. So <laughs> they are going to be assisting with the family business. Thank goodness they have, you know, a plan. I'm happy for them, you know, for them, they, they've made peace with it. And, you know, that's comforting to see that with them. It's just for myself, you know, it's a, you know, it's my friend, it's my best friend and, you know, they're leaving. So it just makes me upset that they couldn't stay, you know, and, and see the change that we're trying to make, but they're happy. They've made peace and they have a plan. So Lee King was able to contribute to the Shaw Law Group, correct? I mean, that's what we talked about, the remote. They have been able to talk with the, the Mets, Shaw Law they, they have not talked to them, but they have given permission to us to share all their email correspondence and, you know, other uh, written statements that they've made in the past. So... So how will we, that work then if it's, yeah, if they're using a surrogate to make their case? How, I don't know how the Shah Law Group deals with that kind of data. Do you have an idea? Can I jump in here? Yes, for a second? of course. Lee actually instigated a lot of this by writing a nine page yes. letter. All of that's written down. What they wanted to do was to ask particular questions about it. But Lee needs to do what Lee needs to do for Lee. Right. And I understand. They need to establish their own identity apart from Metropolitan. And we totally support them and really wish them well. But they do not want to have to relive this over okay. and over and over again. That's been part of the problem. And I, can I just go back to another thing that we talked about earlier? One of the insights that I had a couple of weeks ago when I heard Jeff Keitlinger talk with an employee resource group, Women at Metropolitan or WAM. He was talking about his background and he talked about, you know, being sixth generation Californian, et cetera. Then he talked about getting out of law school and his first job in Pasadena. And he was assigned working with prostitutes and drug addicts. And then he said, you know, the same poor, dumb people making the same poor, dumb mistakes. He said that in 2021. He said that to a bunch of women and executive management. Yes, this was just several weeks ago. And I went, oh my God, that's it. That's why he allowed these people to languish because he doesn't see them as people who are anything more than poor, dumb people making the same poor, dumb mistakes. And I was shocked that no one stood up and went, oh my God, you're not even giving lip service to the types of 
social obstacles or oppression that people face that they can't remove themselves from the circumstances that surround them. There wasn't even lip service to that. It was just this very dismissive statement about these people and he had to deal with them. And it was like, oh my God, you were their attorney? It was the most insightful thing I've ever heard him say that it all became very clear. This is why for his entire tenure, all of this has been allowed to go on because some people apparently are worth his time and some people are not. Some people are just the same poor dumb people making the same poor dumb mistakes. And that was just one of those aha moments for me. Lee is pulling themselves out from a situation where they are considered a poor dumb person making the same poor dumb mistakes. And I really applaud Lee for doing that. I'm so glad that they're feeling strong enough to do that and saying, I don't need you. And we really, the entire Women's Caucus wishes them there well. Wow. Well, I'd like to close with both Gina and Ellen taking stock of both of you. Your daughters seem to be imprinted by your careers, both of you. And I want to take this opportunity to congratulate Ellen's graduating college daughter and wish Gina Chavez's aspiring daughter to follow in her mother's machinist footsteps. Maybe they'll both be guests over a summer show. That could be interesting. I would love to do something like that. Lucy is still wanting to pursue a career that's non-traditional for sure. So, you know, getting their voices out there and then getting Ellen's daughter out there showing that we can empower other women and do that. Ellen's empowering me when I found Ellen. So it just shows that it just doesn't happen at work. It happens at home too. Well, ladies, I thank you for your time, bringing all this for our consideration. I know we pulled a lot of scabs off of Gina Chavez today. Thank you so much for being on Ask a Leader. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you, Claudia. My guests were Ellen Mackey, Metropolitan Water District Senior Ecologist who leads the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employee Unions Women's Caucus, and Gina Chavez, Water Pump Plant Mechanic, one of many, many women challenging the workplace culture at the Metropolitan Water District on Ascoli. Well, that's my wrap. On next week's show, we will hear from UCI School of Education professor Emily Penner on Ethnic Studies. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. Mm -hmm.